James Bond, codenamed 007, is cinema's most popular and enduring action hero, the subject of countless films, novels, video games, and all other imaginable merchandising efforts. The iconic super spy and Lothario has a certain unapproachable appeal that transcends the trends of decades and the tastes of generations. From his initial popularity during the Cold War to his renaissance during the War on Terror, 007 fights the morally ambiguous battles of the wars between wars, his ruthlessness only matched by his endless charm. Some say he's a relic, a brutal, cruel, misogynistic, and xenophobic bully who represents the ultimate expression of white male privilege. Maybe so, but at least he's on our side. And as the world changed around him over the course of 50 years through the civil rights movement, women's liberation, glasnost, perestroika, and the fall of the Berlin Wall, James Bond has somehow remained a relevant part of the popular lexicon. What does that say about us? Evolved and modern as we pretend to be, we still cling to an outmoded mid-century cultural artifact like James Bond. Of course, a philosophical debate about the socio-political implications of a sociopathic gentleman assassin is an exercise in absurdity, isn't it? Why would we feign to discuss Agent 007 as if he were a real man? He is, after all, a fictional character, right? But maybe not. It is well known among Bond aficionados that the creator of the character and author of the original novels, Ian Fleming, was himself a naval intelligence officer during World War II and concocted a sabotage scheme against the Nazis that would become known as Operation Goldeneye. During his career in espionage, Fleming found himself rubbing elbows with some of the greatest super spies of the era and was involved in a multitude of intrigues. Many traits of individuals with whom he was acquainted and events which he took part in would later be incorporated into Fleming's novels, leaving many to believe that James Bond was not a fictional character after all, that he may have in fact been a real secret agent all along. I'm conspiracy expert Lee Golden, and on this week's episode of Inside Jobs, we investigate the real James Bond. Born in 1908, Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond, was reared in the tradition of an English gentleman. Born into a wealthy family connected to the banking industry and a father who served as a member of parliament, Fleming spent his youth in preparatory school in his early manhood at Eton College from 1921 to 1927, where he excelled at womanizing and athletics, but expressed little interest in the rigor of academics. After a brief stint in the Royal Military College, he failed to receive an officer's commission and instead contracted gonorrhea. The young playboy and bon vivant pursued additional studies at Munich University and the University of Geneva, as well as a failed application to the Foreign Office. A disappointment to his family and an embarrassment of the high standards set by his parents and elder brother, the man who would become one of the most influential authors of his time was struggling to carve a place for himself in the world of the English upper crust of society. Eventually, he would find his professional footing for the first time as a newsman for Reuters in the early 1930s, where he spent time covering the affairs of the Stalin regime in Moscow. Eventually, Fleming was pressured by his family to pursue a career in banking and eventually as a stockbroker. He found little interest or success in either endeavor. For the rest of the 1930s, Fleming labored in a life of aristocratic ennui, enjoying a lurid affair with the third baronet O'Neill and little else. It was not until the outbreak of World War II that he and Fleming would find his destiny.
In August of 1939, Fleming joined British Naval Intelligence under the codename 17F. Fleming began his career as a personal assistant to the Director of Naval Intelligence. Although he was starkly underqualified for a role in the service, Fleming quickly rose in the ranks from volunteer reserve to lieutenant and eventually commander, the rank later held by his creation, James Bond. His flair for creativity already finding expression, Fleming proved ingenious at concocting clever espionage schemes to confuse and confound the enemy, such as the infamous plot to crack the Nazi Enigma codes of the German Navy, Operation Ruthless, he also served as liaison to several key international spies and spymasters of the time, such as President Roosevelt's top agent, Colonel Wild Bill Donovan. In 1942, the Director of Naval Intelligence, Admiral John Godfrey, put Fleming in charge of Operation Goldeneye, a sabotage plan against the Nazis. Goldeneye would eventually serve as the name of the author's Jamaican estate, where he penned many of the James Bond novels, as well as the title of a James Bond film and the greatest 007 video game of all time the legendary GoldenEye 64. By 1942, Fleming was directing operations for an intelligence commando unit known as Number 30 Commando, and the group became a renowned and trusted squadron of super spies. Fleming also played a key role in the D-Day landings, codenamed Operation Overlord, where he was in charge of distributing intelligence to the Royal Navy. Fleming and his Number 30 Commando unit saw action during the Overlord campaign. During the war, Fleming also served as a key member of Target Force, or T-Force, a unit entrusted with providing security for intelligence personnel and equipment. In late 1944, Fleming and the Number 3 Commandos were briefly posted to an intelligence position in the Far East, but the Japanese surrendered before the unit was able to achieve any real accomplishments. In May of 1945, Fleming was demobilized and returned to a career in the news industry, serving as foreign manager for a newspaper group which owned the Sunday Times. It was during this stint that Fleming began to spend more and more time in Jamaica, a paradise that would eventually serve as the location for several literary Bond exploits, as well as his home, the GoldenEye Estate. But Fleming never found the news industry as exciting as his career in espionage, and by the early 1950s, he had become intent on achieving a goal he had oft mentioned during his tenure in the Naval Intelligence Agency. He wanted to write a spy novel. For his character, he wanted to find the most droll and boring name he could think of. He chose the name of an American ornithologist and author of the book Birds of the West Indies, James Bond. His description of Bond in the first 007 novel was lifted from the appearance of the lean face and comma-like black hair of musician Hoagy Carmichael. In April of 1953, the first James Bond novel, Casino Royale, was published in England and proved a success. Jumping on the opportunity, Fleming quickly turned the character into the tentpole of a successful literary series, following up the novel with the sequels Live and Let Die, Moonraker, Diamonds Are Forever, From Russia With Love, Dr. No, Goldfinger, the collection of short stories For Your Eyes Only, Thunderball, and The Spy Who Loved Me. And although the character was a veritable phenom in Europe, the character of James Bond failed to find readership in the crucial American literary market. That was until the 1961 Life magazine article in which the newly minted president, John F. Kennedy, listed From Russia With Love as one of his top 10 novels of all time. After years of laboring and obscurity in the colonies, James Bond exploded in popularity in the United States. What the adventure-hungry American readers did not know was that Kennedy and Alan Dulles, then the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, were actually using James Bond novels to dictate policy. In fact, Kennedy invited Fleming to his family estate and asked him how 007's boss M would deal with Fidel Castro. 
Fleming, calling on his experience in concocting espionage schemes against the Nazis, provided JFK with three suggestions. Kennedy followed each one of them. Meanwhile, a troubled Marine turned Soviet defector was also absorbed in the novels of Ian Fleming. He too dreamed of being a secret agent and an assassin like 007. His name was Lee Harvey Oswald. Capitalizing on the newfound international popularity of James Bond, in 1962, filmmakers Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman produced a film based on the Ian Fleming novel, Dr. No. Produced on a budget of only $1 million and starring an unknown actor named Sean Connery, the film proved an overnight success. The character of James Bond was well on his way to becoming a veritable legend of popular culture. Immediately, Broccoli and Saltzman began producing a sequel based on From Russia With Love, and Fleming continued writing novels, including Honor Majesty's Secret Service and You Only Live Twice. During this time, Fleming continued to live a life of heavy drinking and smoking and was embroiled in legal and marital troubles. In August of 1964, at the age of 56, Ian Fleming died of a heart attack. A novel, The Man with the Golden Gun, and two short stories, including the infamous Octopussy, were published after his death. In the ensuing 50 years, another 20 Bond films were produced, and a slew of other authors have written dozens of additional Bond novels. The production company started by Broccoli and Saltzman is currently working on their 24th James Bond film. A recent television miniseries on the life of Ian Fleming was produced, and more and more people are beginning to ask the question, was there a real-life James Bond? If so, who was he? Some claim that Fleming himself was James Bond, and the character's exploits are in fact based on the author's own adventures as an intelligence officer. Others claim that the inspiration for Agent 007 was actually Fleming's older brother Peter, who himself was a military intelligence operative during the war, and whom Ian idolized. In addition to the Flemings themselves, a veritable rogues gallery of possible candidates for the real James Bond have emerged over the years. Perhaps the most popular argument is for Serbian double agent Dusan Dusko Popov, codenamed Tricycle, who played games of double-cross between MI5 and the Abwehr German Intelligence Agency. An associate of Fleming's, the author was present when Popov bet $40,000 at a casino baccarat table to bully his adversary out of the game, a scenario that was almost perfectly mirrored in the plot of Casino Royale. Like Bond, and Fleming himself for that matter, Popoff was a womanizer who led a life of enormous luxury. Popoff later revealed that he had informed FBI Chief J. Edgar Hoover of the impending attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, a fact with which the infamous law enforcement agent did nothing. In the 1930s, Fleming met the legendary British adventurer Conrad O'Brien French in Austria. A man of many skills and talents, such as skiing, linguistics, and mountaineering, O'Brien French had served as a distinguished and decorated British intelligence officer in World War I. Later, he gathered intelligence on the Nazis in the late 1930s, particularly on their fascination with the occult. Many of the outdoorsman qualities possessed by O'Brien French would later work their way into Bond novels, when 007 proved himself an avid skier and mountaineer himself. It is said that O'Brien French's name was featured prominently in the Black Book of Most Wanted British Agents maintained by Himmler's Gestapo in the early 1940s. Dashing and heroic, one can certainly see how Fleming must have idolized the man that was some 15 years his senior, and that his life and times may have greatly influenced the creation of James Bond as a character. 
Another prominent candidate for the real James Bond is an associate of Fleming's known as Sir Peter Smithers, an intelligence operative who smuggled British refugees out of occupied France and helped spread disinformation about the Nazis. Whether or not Smithers was an inspiration for Bond has not been established, however Fleming did name a character after him in the novel Goldfinger. British Secret Service operative Colonel Dwayne Tyrell Bill Hudson has often emerged as another possible inspiration for the character. An intrepid agent, Hudson spent the majority of the Second World War performing sabotage behind enemy lines, disrupting Axis shipping operations. In one remarkable feat of heroics, Colonel Hudson single-handedly blew up an entire Italian ship. Though many Axis operatives attempted to assassinate him during the war, Hudson survived and enjoyed old age. Many of Bond's personality traits have been attributed to a friend of Ian Fleming, Wilford Biffy Dunderdale, who served as Paris head of station for MI6. Like Bond, Dunderdale wore immaculately tailored clothing, drove an armor-plated car, and lavished attention on beautiful women. Several other candidates have emerged over the years as possible inspirations for James Bond. Among them are British agent Fitzroy MacLean, Canadian aristocrat turned professional boxer Michael Mason, who once assassinated two Nazi agents in Bucharest, or guerrilla warfare expert Merlin Minshall, who battled Nazis in France and Yugoslavia, Canadian spymaster William Stevenson, codename Intrepid, who led an MI6 operation out of New York, as well as Scotland Yard Special Branch agent and member of the British Secret Service, Sidney Riley. In all likelihood, many of these storied adventurers, agents, bon vivants, and womanizers served as partial inspirations for Fleming's enduring literary creation. Like most authors, Fleming seems to have constructed his character out of little bits of interesting individuals he encountered during his various travels and escapades, with healthy bits of himself sprinkled in for good measure. In that light, there are in fact many James Bonds who have existed over the years, more so than even the number of men who have played the character on the silver screen. And the designation 007 itself? Well, Fleming too took that from a real-life piece of espionage history, the infamous Zimmerman telegram, codename 0075. Sixty years since James Bond was first introduced to the world, the character is still synonymous with the pinnacle of male style, panache, and sex appeal, and dominant archetype of the spy in popular culture. The last Bond film, Skyfall, was the most successful film in the series so far, grossing over a billion dollars and earning a ranking among the top grossing films of all time, as well as winning an Academy Award for Best Song. New Bond novels are still being written on a regular basis, including a new series of books for younger readers which focuses on the character's youth. In short, James Bond shows no indication of losing any relevance for another 60 years and countless more films and books, living up to the phrase that concludes the credit sequence of every James Bond film. James Bond will return. Perhaps there will never be a true consensus as to who the real James Bond was, if there ever was such a man. What we know for certain is whether or not he ever lived he shows no sign of dying, today, or any other day. For Inside Jobs, I'm Lee Golden. Thanks for listening, and follow the money. Follow Inside Jobs on Twitter, at InsideJobsCast, as well as on the web at InsideJobsCast.com. 
also please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Inside Jobs will return. so much cue it up for a second oh yeah F let's just fucking listen to the rest of this half as good as you Brian G Brian G and Lee are the best Inside jobs, inside jobs is the fucking best. Oh yeah, faded out some trumpet. Eh, who wants a fucking martini? <laughs>